Welcome to Everyday Nonviolence. This podcast is produced by Friends for a Nonviolent World, or FNVW. FNVW champions nonviolence as the foundation for effective programs and actions to promote the dignity of every human being. The Everyday Nonviolence podcast highlights people in our community who are using the principles and practices of nonviolence to transform themselves and the world around us. Their stories deepen our understanding of the impact of violence and the many ways nonviolence can be used for healing and social change. Today, Mike Alberti is with me, Jaron Peterson-Dean, to talk about the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop, the organization he joined as administrator in 2016. Founded in 2011, MPWW conducts creative writing classes and related programs in Minnesota correctional facilities. With 25 instructors, the organization has taught more than 250 creative writing classes to over 3,000 men and women in every adult state prison in Minnesota. In addition to his administrative responsibilities, Mike continues to teach workshops and he's a published author. His first book, Some People Lay You Down, won the 2020 Catherine Ann Porter Prize in short fiction. Mike, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. You came to this work starting with your exposure to prison writing programs as an undergraduate. Could you talk about how that came about? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I um, went to college at a small liberal arts school called Vassar College, which is in New York State. And when I was an undergraduate there, there was a program through which uh, Vassar students could take a class for credit inside of a nearby New York State men's prison. So we would go in and we would have class alongside men who were incarcerated in that facility. And the subjects of the classes were related to the criminal justice system. We were all learning together about that, about that system in an academic way. And that class had such a huge impact on me and on many of the other students not having had up to that point much personal exposure to at least the prison system. And part of the purpose of these classes was to make that system visible to us as we were learning about it. And and not just the system, but the individuals who were incarcerated inside of those facilities, many of whom we got to know very well, some of whom I'm still in touch with today. Well, that sounds like it was really transformational for you. So that's what led you to become involved in criminal justice reform? Yeah, yeah. Those classes, as I said, made that system visible in all of its ugliness and with all of its faults and with all of the violence that that system does to the people who are involved with it. And once I had seen that, it seemed imperative to do what I can as someone who is not incarcerated to reform or change that 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 system. So after I graduated, you know, I was involved in some activism related to criminal punishment reform and and abolition um, before I went back to graduate school to do my degree as a as in creative writing. And that's when you came to the University of Minnesota, correct? That's right. 
And so how did you first become involved with MPWW? How did you find it? As part of my graduate degree at the University of Minnesota in creative writing, I was teaching undergraduate creative writing classes, and which I loved. I had never really taught before. I didn't have that kind of experience, but I really, really loved it. I loved the students and I loved introducing people, especially to creative writing. Most of those students hadn't taken a creative writing class before. And so I was finding that so enjoyable. And at the same time, I was thinking about this other part of my life and this other interest and passion that I have for criminal justice reform. And I was in a new state in Minnesota. I just moved here. And I had no sense of what the Minnesota prison system was like at the time. And I wanted to learn more about that just as being kind of an, an active citizen of our state. And and so I have these kind of things going on at once. And it just occurred to me one day, um, I had never heard about anything like this before exactly, but it just occurred to me that, well, I'm teaching creative writing to undergraduates and I'm enjoying that. And maybe this is something that folks who are incarcerated would enjoy. And and that was really the extent of my thought. And, and maybe that's something I could, you know, volunteer and, and provide. Uh, maybe that's possible. So I, I simply Googled Minnesota prison creative writing classes or something along those lines. And then, you know, the first hit I got was Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop, sent them a note. And that's how I got linked up with them in the, in the first place. Well, how fortunate for all of us that you did. What was the program like at the time compared to its current scope now? So that was, that would have been in 2014, I believe. My colleague, Jennifer Bowen, who's our, our artistic director, founded the organization in 2011. So it was still relatively young. When Jen founded it, um, she, she essentially founded it by teaching one class. So she had the same idea that I had four or five years earlier than I had it. And she paved that way, you know, find, figuring out who to talk to, how to get access. She finally did that. Um, there was not anything, you know, akin to MPWW. There was no large scale creative writing classes or programs happening across the facilities here at the time. And so she started it with one class. She had this incredible experience, these wonderful students. She saw, you know, the impact that it had and she understood how important it was after teaching that one class and went out and recruited other teachers to come in and slowly, gradually built and spread um, to other facilities and having more classes every year. And so I came in during that period of growth when we were still small. Um, we did not have any kind of paid staff at the time when I, I came in as a teacher. So I just wanted to go in and teach. And yeah, it was a, it's kind of a scrappy group of local writers and, and who, you know, we became friends and, and Jen was kind of at the helm directing us and saying, okay, you could want to teach this class here or there. And so that's, that's the point. That's the state of the organization about when I joined. Speaking of the expansion, did the organization run into any barriers with the actual corrections department in getting this amazing workshop going? We've certainly encountered some logistical barriers from time to time. Often it's related to staff. You know, when it, when an instructor goes into one of the prisons to teach a class, there has to be a corrections officer around. You know, they're not in the room or anything, but they have to be kind of in that area so they can watch on camera and respond if, say, something were to happen. So 
you need to have those staff available. You need to have actually the classroom space available. So some of those logistical challenges, you know, we've, we've faced, but really up until the significant logistical challenges that were caused by the pandemic um, starting in 2020, we had a lot of support from the Department of Corrections. I know Jen kind of had to fight her way in there at the beginning, but once she was in, everybody saw, you know, that this was something that people were getting a lot out of, that we were, <laughs> we were easy to work with. Uh, and, and so there was a lot of support. So whenever we said, you know, okay, we want to go, we started at Lino Lakes, um, is the name of the prison, um, quickly expanded to Stillwater. Um, and then after that, we, you know, every time we said, okay, well, now we want to have a class at a new facility. We had that track record and the staff at the facilities where we already were to vouch for us. And so the, the Department of Corrections has been receptive to our expansion. Who can participate in MPWW as far as um, people that are currently incarcerated? That will depend a little bit on the facility. Specific facilities have specific rules regarding um, who's allowed to participate in specific programming. It's all very arcane and, (laughs) you know, we can't get into the weeds too much there. But for the most part, folks who are able to participate in programming at all, so don't have, you know, significant disciplinary issues that are pending at the time, and who have um, eighth grade reading level, it might be tenth grade reading level, are able are able to sign up for the class. And the and the barrier really is just you know do they want to? It's up to them. Nobody's forcing them to do that. They don't get college credit. For some of them, it's time that they could be you know otherwise working and and making some money while they're in the facility. It's, it's anybody who wants to with those parameters in mind. What do you see participants gaining from their experiences in the writing workshops? A lot of different things, and it'll depend on the class, and it'll, of course, depend on the on the participant. They certainly, I hope, I, I think most of them are gaining some specific, concrete craft skills, right? I mean, that's it's a creative writing class, so we're trying to we're trying to teach something about the art of creative writing. Um, so whether that's how to write a vivid scene using sensory details, or whether it's how to think about where to end the line in your poem, right? Or what form it should take, right? So those kind of concrete craft skills. I think people are getting exposure to a variety of writing. So we're bringing in text from diverse writers so that they're getting that kind of exposure out of the class. And I think they also get access to a larger community, artistic community, both within the facility, out across, you know, with people outside of prison and across facilities as well. Over the, the 10 plus years that we've been working, this, this really robust and supportive community of writers has kind of formed, you know, around our programming and they organize themselves and, and people, you know, for someone, for example, taking a class for the first time, they get access to that, which can be really, really important. And then I certainly can't speak for every participant, but I, I do know that some participants get benefits related to their quality of life, right? Practicing an art, whether it's creative writing or painting or music, can really help a person with anxiety, with depression, right? Those kind of quality of life metrics. Um, I know that those can really go up. Creative writing specifically, I think, can help a lot with with sense of self, sense of purpose, self-esteem, and also with a sense that, you know, the stories that they have to tell are worthwhile, are important. 
prison writ large anywhere in the country is such a punitive and dehumanizing environment. What we strive to do to provide for participants in our programming is an environment that stands in contrast to that overall ethos of prison that isn't punitive, that that celebrates their humanity, their individuality, you know, and says, yeah, you have a story to tell. You are not defined by the fact of being in prison or by your crime. We recognize that there's more to you. And through this art form and this community, we want to help you access that and explore it. Are there other benefits that you see to the correction system as a whole, to the instructors, to society? Well, the instructor is speaking personally. Certainly, there's a huge benefit to us. I mean, our classes are fun. Our instructors love to teach. They want to be in there. You know, many of our instructors teach also at other institutions of higher education. And for example, I teach at Century College. And I love my Century College students, but I am certain that not every single one of them wants to be in my Comp 1 class at, you know, 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night, right? That's not where they would be if they, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if they could choose anywhere they wanted to be. But every single student in an MPWW class is there because they want to be there. And there's such an energy around that in the classroom that instructors really, really enjoy. So we get a lot out of it. Those of us, those of us who work really benefit a lot. I do think that there are a lot of benefits to, to society. They're probably a little bit hard to quantify. But one thing that we've been doing more and more in the past few years, you know, our bread and butter is still the, the programs inside teaching classes, right? Teaching craft, helping folks tell their own stories in their own voices. But increasingly over the past few years, our students, many of whom have been with us for 10 years or more, have said, well, we want, you know, we also want people outside of this classroom to read our work and to have access to it. We want to connect with the larger community. And I should say that many, many of the folks that we work with inside, the writers that we work with, are professional practicing publishing writers of the highest quality. I mean, I, I, I always say that some of the best writers who are working right now in the state of Minnesota are writing from prison. Um, I truly believe that. It's, that some of them are, many, many of them are incredible, incredible artists. And so... To the extent that we've been able through different partnerships and different ventures, especially in the last few years, to expose the broader community to create platforms for our students' voices and cultivate new audiences for them, connect them to opportunities. I think our artistic discourse has really benefited a lot from that. And anybody who's been exposed to their work has certainly benefited from reading it. That's incredible. Are there additional areas you're considering in the future with MPWW? We are thinking about a lot of different things. Because of the pandemic, we weren't able to get in for a couple of years and are just only now really starting to get access again. And so, you know, while we're ramping up and, and really want to be back inside with as robust of a, a presence as we can, you know, we've also had this opportunity to think about other areas that, you know, for example, like those partnerships, thinking about what can we do to create more platforms for the work of incarcerated people? How can we connect them to those opportunities or how can we create those opportunities for them to reach those audience? So that's a big area that we're considering. It's so, so great that 
because we've been around for, you know, over 10 years now, more and more and more of the students that we've been working with for a long time are getting out, um, which is amazing. And we want to continue to support them in, you know, whatever ways they need and whatever ways make sense for us. We've started doing some reentry programming and we're exploring that direction as well. Continue to do, um, do that and do more of it. Many of our students are not just incredible, passionate writers, but also artists of all kinds. One of our students, Will, is a, an incredible musician. We have many students who are wonderful visual artists as well. And they're just, the programming like MPWW for writing doesn't exist. So we're thinking about how can we provide some of those opportunities as well, which we recognize all of this arts, you know, this kind of expression, the more of it that there is, the better. So we're thinking about different projects where we might combine writing with some other art form, for example, a song writing class that combines writing and music, a graphic novel class, for example, that combines writing and visual art and so on. Um, so, you know, we're kind of tiptoeing into that realm as well. Are there any specific stories from people who have attended workshops or you know, worked with you for, for years that stand out to you as inspirational or more meaningful? We had a student in a class years ago named Robert. It was an essay writing class. And Robert wrote through that class, worked on it hard, revised it, you know, really, really dedicated to, the, to writing this essay about his experience in segregation, seg, they call it, solitary confinement, essentially. He spent 600 days in solitary confinement before taking this class, and he wanted to write about that. And the essay that he wrote testified so poignantly and painfully to what that experience was like, how torturous that was, that he was able to publish it in, um, in the Star Tribune, actually, and it got quite a bit of attention. And the governor at the time actually cited that essay as part of his reason for trying to institute some reforms to the solitary confinement. So it still exists, but you can no longer be, you're not, 600 days in solitary confinement is no longer um, allowed in the Minnesota system. You can't have so, such a long stay. But that's a story where the success, you know, you could see that Robert's craft is taking his awful experience, turning it into something productive and positive, and it having this impact to show the human side, right? That's really what art can do is say, you know, we can talk about numbers, but once you kind of read that essay and you see, oh, this is what that was like. This is what it was like to, to feel so lonely that you saved a little bit of your toothpaste to um, induce some ants to come into yourself to keep you company, right? Those kinds of details, right? That only comes from these these specific artistically crafted stories. And those are the kinds of things that, that really can have an impact on individuals and also on systems. Absolutely. It's amazing how a personal story can resonate with people that may not be listening otherwise. That's incredible. Yeah. Prisons can be violent places. In what ways have you seen violence impact your students or even perhaps the instructors or yourself? I'll say that 
nobody involved with MPWW has ever suffered any kind of violence in prison while we've been in there teaching. And I certainly can't speak for everybody. And it is also absolutely a gendered issue. And so as a man, I, I especially shouldn't speak for the our, our teachers who are identified as women um, or non-binary, but I can say that I think for the most part, people feel very safe in our classrooms. As far as our students, um, like incarcerated people everywhere in the country and in the world, I'm sure, they undergo a thousand violences a day. And it's not about, you know, whatever kind of sensational thing people might think from TV or something, you know, prison shanks or lunchroom fights. I mean, of course, stuff like that happens here and there. But for the most part, it's the violence that they suffer being in this environment that doesn't care about who they are, that doesn't really recognize their humanity, that views them as a criminal, as a threat. And the system is designed around that attitude. Again, not specific to Minnesota, you know, everywhere in the country. Um, we actually probably have one of the most humane state systems of any anywhere in the United States. But yeah, like I said before, prison is designed to be punitive and punishment involves violence. And that's the air that the folks we work with are breathing every single day. There's a violence involved in being referred to as an offender, which until very recently was the, the nomenclature it recently has changed to incarcerated person. There's a violence to being referred to by a number instead of your name. Everybody has a, an offender identification number, an OID, right? That's your number. That's who you are. That's your identity, right? To have that humanity stripped away is a kind of violence that our students experience every day that they're inside. So from your perspective, in what ways does your program support or encourage nonviolence? That's a t it's a tough question because <laughs> we don't I don't think we've ever thought of ourselves specifically in those terms, but I think it does apply in some ways. Any sense that the folks we work with, the students in our class are violent people who through our programming become less violent. That's not how we think of ourselves. And I don't really think that's an accurate way to describe our work. If anything, you know, the way that we promote nonviolence is by showing up to class, having this three hour block of class every week, where we are focusing on the humanity of the students, we're joking with each other, we're telling stories, we're listening to each other, we're communicating. Um, we're valuing what each of the participants, all of us have to say. Nobody is, you know, privileged and nobody is, you know, there's not a hierarchy at work. Everybody is, is recognized as a full human. And by providing that space, you never forget <laughs> that you're in, if you're in prison, you don't forget, right? You can't, you don't forget that you're in prison. But just for a moment to try to remember what it's like to not be in that environment. And in doing so, by creating that, to, to have a model within the Department of Corrections, right? We're a part of the system to some extent, right? We're going into the prison. Um, but within that system, to provide a model of, I hesitate to use the word rehabilitation, but, you know, 
rehabilitation to, in a certain sense of the word, restorative justice through art, right? And a, a model that stands distinct and in contrast to the broader encompassing model of of punishment, essentially, and dehumanization to say there is a different way we can go about interacting with folks who are in prison and who have done harm, right? There's a different way than by by cause doing these daily violences, which we don't see as actually being rehabilitative. Is that challenging for participants to adjust to when they attend your workshops, knowing that most of their time is spent being treated in one way, and then they're able to come to your space and be treated in a different way? Do you ever see any tension arise from that? We had certainly have seen, especially when we go to a new facility, or if, you know, like after the pandemic, we haven't been able to get in in a while. You know, there's been issues of trust. For someone who's in that environment, understandably, right, you kind of are going to have a certain cynicism. <laughs> um, and so, you know, they, our instructors have to earn that trust to say, you know, I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to exploit you, right? And because that's, I think, the default. Even, you know, there are many wonderful, you know, for example, GED teachers who are in prison, you know, high school teachers, um, higher education teachers, many wonderful, many wonderful teachers. But um, I know that many of our students have had really poor educational experiences, both before they went to prison and in prison. So, so yeah, that trust is something that we we strive to earn. It gets easier after we've been there for a while, right? You get some some street cred, and um, you have the community of folks who you know can vouch for you on the inside. So, but at, at first, it's yeah, it can be it can be a little bit of a of a challenge. Can you speak a little bit more about the tension between the differing objectives of incarceration? You mentioned like the punishment or holding people accountable versus rehabilitation. Absolutely. So a few years ago, I heard a high ranking official within the Department of Corrections, who is not somebody who is there anymore, explain the purpose of prison at a very high level. And this person said that there were four reasons why we have prison, essentially. The first is rehabilitation, okay, an idea that somebody needs help, right? There, we need to provide resources to somebody and, and, um, and help them in some way. The second was deterrence, which, uh, you know, the idea that by, you know, <laughs> the you know, if you think you're going to go to prison, then you might not commit a crime, right? And the third was incapacitation, that there are essentially some people who, um, you know, are not, it's not safely able to be out and free in society. And the fourth was what he called just deserves, just a social sense that harm should be followed by harm. So if you cause harm, you should experience harm. And in my experience, personally, and also, I think, widely, widely backed up by every, <laughs> by the academic literature, of, which is extensive on the subject, those four goals are not compatible with one another. You are not able to successfully rehabilitate somebody when you are essentially punishing them we have this kind of mixed view of what we're doing in prison. If our idea is that folks have committed a harm and we do not want 
them to commit harm in the future. And we want to repair, do what we can to repair that harm. I, I certainly know that that many victims of crime, you know, people who have done harm to them would say that there is something reparative about seeing the person who caused that harm to them punished. I respect that perspective. And I understand that. At the same time, as a society, if what we're going for is less harm overall, causing the harm that we cause by putting people in prison <laughs> is not the way to reduce further harm that that person might do. Prisons are not a place where, by and large, of course, exceptions exist, um, as with any rule. But it's not a place where rehabilitation is. <laughs> it's not a place that's conducive to rehabilitation, essentially, because the overarching modus operandi is about just deserts, right? Is about is about punishment. What would you say makes the Minnesota Prison Writing Workshop unique? Oh, many things. Um, first of all, I mean, our community of students and teachers is incredibly special and unique. We have some of the best teachers. I mean, I would put us up with any <laughs> college, university uh, in the in the state, certainly. And, um, you know, it's a really special community of folks outside and in. I mean, the folks that we work with, as I said before, are some of the most incredible writers and people who I've ever gotten to meet. So we're unique in that sense of the, of the community that we have. We're unique in our scope. So um, also kind of as I alluded to earlier, there are no other arts or education programming that do what we do, that provide these steady, continuous, sustainable opportunities for classes and other programming across all the adult facilities in the state. So we're unique in that way. And I don't think that there is anything really in other states that even rivals what we have been privileged to do here in Minnesota. There certainly are wonderful arts programs um, in other states. Often they are either part of the state, um, the state operates the program, or as in California, for example, or they're integrated with a specific college or university. And those are wonderful programs. Often they are at one prison or maybe two, which is great. But, you know, this kind of scope that we have throughout the state is is fairly unique, I think. What else would you like people to know about MPWW, your students, or perhaps even the correctional system? I'll say that when people ask me, what's it like to teach and who who are they? You know, what are the students like? I can't really answer because, you know, as one of our students, Will, has said, the depth and breadth of humanity is here behind these walls. It's They're incredibly diverse. There is no stereotype of an incarcerated person that holds up right there. And so I want people to know that. And a great way to, to kind of think about that and to experience that diversity is through the art that incarcerated people are making, you know, in which their, their humanity is on full display. And just if I might just do a quick plug here at the end, every year we have a big reading of student work out in the community. You know, our alums read their own work, or sometimes they might read work written by people inside. Our teachers read on behalf of people inside. Mentors, sometimes, you know, the writer's family members will read their work on their behalf. It's always a really wonderful event. And this year it's coming up on October 22nd. So if your listeners are interested, I would encourage them to go to our website. You can find more details there and check that out October 22nd, both in person and live stream. 
I will back that up by saying that I've attended one of those events and it was incredible. The talent was really amazing to see and hear and experience. Mike, how can people support your work? It'd be wonderful to see folks at that reading. If folks, you know, are moved by that, if they look up the work of participants, as I said, much work, um, you can see it on our website, has been published out in the world in prestigious magazines and poetry magazine. Many of our students have published books. You know, it's wonderful if you read that, expose yourself to it. And then if you're so moved to get in touch with those writers, they often feel isolated, you know, siloed. And But those connections that folks get from people who experience their work is, is super, super important. And anybody can write. <laughs> anybody can write a letter to anybody in prison. Um, so I encourage folks to do that. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. This was, this was a pleasure. And thank you so much for your um, thoughtful questions. I'm Jaron Peterson-Dean, and I've been talking with Mike Alberti, Executive Director of the Minnesota Prison Writers Workshop. For more information about Mike and MPWW, check the program notes. Thank you. for listening to Everyday Nonviolence. To learn more about Friends for a Nonviolent World, visit our website at fnvw.org or call 651-917-0383. We hope you will subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes and insightful conversations. Please note that the views expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guest and are not intended to reflect the official positions of FNVW, its staff, or board of directors.